Greetings, and welcome back to your favorite science and Star Trek podcast. Mike Wong here, and I've got a different kind of episode heading your way today. Thought I'd spice things up because this past August, I had the opportunity to attend an early career scientist astrobiology conference in Tartu, Estonia. Now, this was a wonderful, eye-opening, and extremely educational experience for me. And it was really fun, too, because while I was there, I got to catch up with some old friends and make some new ones. And I brought back a few stories and sound bites to share with you. I landed in Estonia late on a Monday night after over 24 hours of travel. The first friend I made was a young man named Ashwin Manohar. I'm originally from India, but I do my master's in astrophysics in the University of Bonn, Germany. So this is my second semester of master's. Ashwin and I were famished and went exploring downtown Tartu at 11 p.m., looking for a place to eat. We passed shop after shop. Most were closed. Others were serving nothing but drinks. Eventually, we stumbled upon the town square, where a huge crowd was gathered to watch a movie on a giant outdoor screen. It was like the whole town had emptied out onto the cobblestones, set up chairs or sat on blankets, and enjoyed a movie together. Finally, we stumbled upon what seemed like the last place in town serving food, a Chicago gangster-themed restaurant. Over a dinner of pork and potatoes, Ashwin told me that he was an astrophysicist studying pulsars, but that he had a secret, side passion. Exoplanets that might harbor life. From Ashwin, I learned that the discovery of the seven Trappist-1 planets took an international consortium of the world's best telescopes. The reward goes to the Trappist Telescope, which is called Transiting Planets and Planetesimals Telescope, which is actually located in the uh, southern northern part of the globe. One is in Chile and one is in uh, Morocco. So these are the primary telescopes which actually detected the planet B and C. And actually D was, planet D was the, uh, discovered by the BLT, the Very Large Telescope. Uh, and then, uh, thanks to Spitzer's telescope, which was uh, which played a very vital role in uh, discovering all the other planets, including planet H, which is uh, considered to be an habitable planet. So, uh, this is actually great news, and we are waiting for the launch of uh, James Webb's space telescope, which can do wonders because it can uh, see through the atmospheres of those planets, and we can know whether it's actually habitable. Once the conference started, I got to meet a variety of scientists from various disciplines and various corners of the world, all interested in the big questions of astrobiology. Where did we come from, and are we alone? Over another dinner of pork and potatoes—I was beginning to see a pattern here—I met Umesh Bhatt, who moved from India to work in Estonia. Of all places, why Estonia, I asked him. He told me that it all began when he read a blog post called The Little Country That Cloud. The first time I read it, I was quite like, blown away. 
the content, which is Estonia, a tiny country in northern Europe, which is online, like online as in everything from your groceries to e-voting. And Estonia has been e-voting since 2005. Wow. With little or no glitches. We need to catch up. <laughs> USA need needs to catch up. <laughs> definitely. So one of the successes they have is because of their mandatory residence permit card. So mm -hmm. I wanted to live in a country, see how it is, get my master's as well at the same time, and then hopefully emulate this back home. So it, it has been a very fruitful journey so far. Yeah. I learned that Umesh works on the Estonian Student Satellite Program's EstCube mission. What's EstCube? Well, while the Borg of Star Trek fame launch gargantuan cube-shaped starships to assimilate the galaxy, the young Estonian space program is launching miniature cubes into space to conduct scientific and technological experiments for the benefit of humankind. These are so-called cube satellites. As it turns out, Umesh plays a sort of Uhura-like role for the mission. So I, I heard of S-Cube in 2016, and S-Cube is the Estonian student satellite program. And we launched the first satellite in 2013, and uh, our mission is to launch S-Cube 2 in 2019. It will be a three-unit CubeSat, and we have a couple of payloads. The highlight of the satellite is to test the electric wind sail and to test plasma brake and plasma brake-assisted deorbiting. Okay. So I work as part of the mission control system. Mm -hmm. So we're the guys who enable people to say hello, and then they respond, and so I'm in charge of the mission control system for the satellite. So you're like the communications officer. You make sure, you make sure we can talk to the satellite, the satellite can downlink its data back to us. Exactly. So I sit in between the operator of the satellite and the ground station and the satellite itself. So it's like four components involved, and... and uh, the challenge comes in the coordination. We have a couple of ground stations, and when the satellite passes over, you have to coordinate mm -hmm. so that uh, it's just like you're traveling in a bus and the cell tower keeps track of you. Yeah. So we, we, we do similar things. I love astrobiology's multinational, interdisciplinary nature. During the conference, I got to hear about Ruth Sophie Taubner's experiments growing microbes in a solution that simulated Enceladus's ocean. Enceladus is an icy moon of Saturn, with a subsurface ocean made of liquid water. Its famous plumes were sampled by the Cassini spacecraft, giving us information about what's inside the ocean that can be useful or harmful to life. Ruth's microbes were able to survive thanks to hydrogen and carbon dioxide, which the microbes ate and converted into methane. I also got to connect with Bruce Jakoski, the principal investigator of the MAVEN mission to Mars. MAVEN stands for Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution and is a satellite currently in orbit of Mars gathering data on the escape of Mars's atmosphere to space. Currently, Mars has a very tenuous atmosphere, which means that its surface is very cold and very dry. 
But Bruce told us that at least half a bar of atmosphere has escaped over Mars's history. Now, a bar is the surface pressure of Earth's atmosphere today. So half a bar means that Mars once had a much thicker atmosphere than it does today, and means that Mars had a much different climate, perhaps warmer and wetter, better for the possibility of ancient life. At the end of the conference, I shared a celebratory beer with Philippe Nauni. Philippe and I met in Iceland last summer at an astrobiology summer school. I remember sitting down next to him on the bus that took us all over Iceland and noticing that he was reading a really nerdy comic book. Now, I don't exactly remember which superhero it was, but we started chatting, and of course, that eventually led to Star Trek. Tell me, when was the first time you saw Star Trek? Well, I think it was on TV a couple of years ago. Okay. It was not really well broadcasted in France, and it was an episode of Voyager. Voyager, yeah, that's that's my favorite series. So now I've started watching them from the beginning, and at the moment I'm stuck somewhere in TNG. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, what's something that really attracts you about Star Trek? Uh, exploration. Yeah. So I really like that, especially like in the original series, when they explore, well, sometimes... Scenario are a bit weird, but it's real. I really like that the the fact that you have to encounter new things and deal with the unknown and yeah, new ways of thinking. That's yeah. it. Yes, and um, so you're an astrobiologist, which means you are in the business yeah. of seeking out new life. What exactly do you do in astrobiology? Uh, so I look for biosignatures, and uh, I do also genomic works on uh, microbial communities that live in extreme environments, really cold, really dry conditions. Yeah. And so, why do we want to study these extremophiles for looking for life in the universe? So basically, the first idea was to lose, was to use these locations because they could be a good analog for Mars because they're dry, cold, and undertake a lot of UVs. Ah. And see, if there are some backdrops on Earth that can manage to survive under these conditions, maybe why not on some other planetary bodies? Yeah. Oh, okay, there could be like really more extreme conditions on Mars, but still, why not? And what's something that you've something that's really cool that you've learned about these extremophiles so far? Well, I'm still waiting for the results for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the experiment that you're running? What what question are you asking? Uh, so we observed that despite having really low DNA. Uh, in places that are quite remote, we still observe uh, plant inputs, mm. so they should be probably blown by the winds and settled in the in the soil. But compared with the amount of DNA, and the DNA is also really fragmented, yeah. we wonder, okay, yeah, what can we have? And yeah, at the moment we're trying to amplify the DNA and see what's actually there. I see. So trying to figure out what kind of biology survives in these environments yeah. and how they're transported by wind and things mm. like that. Very cool. Yeah, and so you, you are one of the organizers for this astrobiology conference that we just ended and are celebrating now. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the process of, I mean, it just seems like to me in my two years of attending these types of things that the European astrobiology community seems like one big family, and that's really nice, and it's probably all due to your hard work. Well, not only my hard work, I mean, we're a whole team, and yeah, this European equivalent of AppGradCon started a few years ago, and we thought, okay, that could be interesting like to develop um, thinking of yeah, um, 
a networking of uh, grad students in Europe because in every country you have a different way of doing science and thinking and also you also have different opinions from people working in different fields and that's something we really want to push and we also try to develop net contacts with the American teams and the Japanese teams for example and yeah we try to push forward because not still not many people know about astrobiology even though they might work in the relevant field or doing something some work that is relevant relevant to like the search of life in the universe so we would like to promote that so this august people from all over the world converged upon estonia to share their ideas about life in the universe but one person was already there my friend marilis aru the one and only Estonian scientist that I knew coming into the conference. I also met Marilis on the bus in Iceland last summer. And after hearing so much about her country, it was finally time to pay a visit. The day after the conference ended, Marilis gave me a tour of the Tartu Observatory, where she had conducted research the past three summers. While waiting for the bus to take us back to the university, I got to ask her about her experience as an astronomer at the observatory. I began with basically making a catalog of uh, the best stellar observations here, taken with the big telescope, back when uh, they had to record the stellar spectrum in order to research stars, mm -hmm. to those uh, photographic plates that you saw. Those yeah. little glass plates, which then are now holding the, those spectrums uh, on them. Yeah. And um, on my second summer, I worked here for um, the Estonian student satellite team and conducted uh, experiments that uh, were needed for the preparation of this um, new technology that we want to test out in orbit. And... On my third summer, <laughs> I learned to observe uh, stars myself with the big telescope here, which is the, I mean, I call it big because it's um, the biggest one we have in Estonia, but it's 1.5 meter. So when you think about um, future telescopes, which like the biggest one is planned as a 40 meters, then <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. the quarters is big, but when you're next to the telescope here, you still feel like an ant, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, it's actually, it was really amazing. We just went up to this telescope, and I'm not an observational astronomer, so when I go to telescopes, usually it's because I'm a tourist, just like anybody mm -hmm. else, and I go, and I go, ooh, that's, that looks nice, <laughs> and that looks complicated, and that looks really big. But this time, um, you were able to take me up to the sort of top ramp, mm -hmm. and we were able to look into this giant... 1.4 meter telescope yes. and we saw our reflections in the mirror and i've never seen <laughs> a telescope from that end you know yeah, looking into from the other it, side I mean. the other side right and i'm like i was oh my goodness there's the mirror and there's me and it was it was really great to realize yeah. to become more intimate with mm -hmm. the technology that science yeah. uses and on the telescope we have uh, uh, an instrument called the spectrograph mm -hmm that is used to observe uh, stellar spectra, which I mentioned before. And you also saw the diffraction grating, mm -hmm. which is used to um, diffract uh, light from the star into the spectrum. And then 
nowadays, fortunately, we can record Spectra into, uh, you know, directly into the computer, so we don't have to mess with those glass plates. Yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems like a, a bit of tedious work to be able to. Mm -hmm. to <laughs> but it's, that was like a real astronomy experience uh, back then. I guess. So now we're just yeah. fake astronomers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, still astronomers, but a bit more advanced. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, more evolved astronomers. Um. Marilis is also heavily involved with the EstCube mission. Remember, that's the program run by Estonian student scientists to launch small cube satellites into space. So, a uh, cube satellite is a miniature satellite whose size we talk about in units. So, for example, a one unit cube satellite is uh, a bit smaller uh, than a milk carton. Okay. So it's like, um, now that I'm using, uh, using those European units, but it's mm -hmm. 10 times 10 times 10 centimeters, which is like a nice little box. Mm -hmm. But By the way, the whole world should use those units. I don't know why <laughs> <laughs> we in America use inches and pounds. Anyhow, yeah, it's, carry on. It's confusing sometimes, yeah. But uh, anyway, those satellites are um, very useful because um, they can be uh, built, for example, by students. Mm -hmm. And now uh, I think that those cube satellites uh, will be used uh, in the future for valuable science. Because uh, one of the projects that is under discussion here is to uh, go to send uh, multiple cube satellites into the asteroid belt. And then um, instead of having one very high cost big satellite and, and to send it to only one asteroid, you could send multiple low cost satellites into multiple asteroids. Mm -hmm. So you could have this like, you know, the statistics of the asteroid belt if you uh, take pictures and um, take measures with the spectrograph on, on board. So it has, uh, it has like uh, gone from this, um, you know, this student hands-on experience to like actually an outlook into like valuable science with with those uh, satellites, numerous satellites. This year, Marilis graduated from college at Tartu University and is going to pursue her master's in space science. Well, that just seems to me like she is about to become the master of all of space. But she is choosing a concentration in planetary science, which happens to be my field of study, so I really have to compliment her on that choice. Getting to tackle astrobiological questions, though, is one of her prime motivators in her scientific career. So, my final question to her was, why astrobiology? I love the conception of astrobiology because it's a field where uh, so many disciplines come together. Mm -hmm. It's not about only biology and astronomy, but it's also about geology and chemistry. So it's uh, really, you know, it broadens your, uh, your view of science so much because mm -hmm. uh, you can have so many different knowledge. I mean, especially after attending those courses, you can see uh, what problems do other scientists tackle in their fields and then maybe find something that you could collaborate on. So, yeah, for example, when we look at the uh, analog landscapes, how we did in Iceland, mm -hmm. then uh, I think there was combined geology 
what the what the lava fields and the lava caves. Yeah. Because you you explain what is going on by geology, mm-hmm. but then also we were interested there in biology to take samples and to see whether how much ATP was there. Yeah. Yeah. That that was our project there in Iceland. And thirdly, finally, you could apply it to other planets. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, planetary (laughs) science, it was a Mars analog. So many, so many fascinating topics, all combined. Yeah, that's that's also what I love about astrobiology. And the fact that not only does it take people from multiple disciplines, but people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I I feel really lucky that I'm able to to meet people like you who, you know, work in Estonia. I've never met an Estonian Mm -hmm. scientist before. (laughs) Um, And it's just just wonderful to, to meet people with different perspectives and from different places yes and those courses are amazing also because you meet people from all around the world Mm -hmm. okay so um before we go and try to catch our bus which we probably should do very soon (laughs) (laughs) um tell us where people can find you on the internet because i know that you're a very passionate science communicator and you use the internet to talk about science yes i i'm trying to do it as much as i can uh on instagram Mm -hmm. My username is a space colonizer. That's such a great username, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, I also have a blog on a platform that's called Tumblr. And there, my, univer- uh, my universe. <laughs> Tumblr my, is your universe. My universe. <laughs> my username <laughs> is Psy. Uh, okay. Yeah, like, you know, like sci fi. Okay. But Psy uh, and then dash mm-hmm. and universe. Psy so, universe. universe. With, with a dash mm-hmm. <laughs> excellent such a complicated name I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no it's all good well we didn't make our bus we had to catch the next one half an hour later but not before I tried and failed to hitchhike with an elderly man driving his car down the street Marilise tapped me on the shoulder as I was holding my thumb out and said that's Jan Einasto Dr. Einasto is a world-famous cosmologist who discovered the large-scale structure of the universe. The next day, Marilis took me around Tallinn, the capital of Estonia. It was a blast seeing the old town, a medieval city with walls and towers, much older than anything in the United States. As we wandered through the streets, we chatted about history architecture, and, of course, the cosmos. I was so impressed by this little country and the people I met there, especially their grand ambitions to explore the final frontier. Finally, it was time to say goodbye to Estonia, but not before I recorded one more clip. All right, we're at the... Tallinn bus station. Uh, I'm going to make my way back to Tartu, uh, where I fly back to the United States tomorrow. Um, So just first of all, Marilis, thank you for spending the past few days with me and sharing with me your country and your culture. It's been a a really great trip. And I think you want to say something in Estonian, right, to sort of end the podcast. Yes. But first of all, yes. I loved having you over. I was Aww. so glad to show around and everything. But yeah, we were discussing this uh, quote before. Well, this simple, but it says so much about science. Uh, in English, it it went like, 
somewhere something incredible is waiting to be known. But uh, in Estonian, in my language, it would go something like kusakil midagi hämmastavat ootab avastamist. I think it's much more beautiful in Estonian. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beautiful in all the languages, I'm sure. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. How do you say see you out there in Estonian? I think a simple version would be just naime. Naime? Naime, naime yksteist. But I mean, I think wait, wait, uh, people wait. will people will not people don't really say that to each other. But I guess it's just naime. Naime. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. That's awesome. Yeah, because that's the way I end my, all my podcasts. I say, oh, see yeah. you out there. Yeah. So, naime. <laughs> naime, everyone. <Yeah. laughs>